Today we're talking about fast food Christianity. And uh, as uh, Pastor Dave already alluded to, we'll be in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 4. And we're just going to be covering the first couple of verses there. And uh, the question I want to ask is, have you ever had the most perfect fast food experience? You guys are already laughing because it's a rare thing. You know, when you pull up to the drive-thru and you, you, you say your order and they repeat it right back and it's right. I mean, that's a miracle right there already. You don't have to repeat anything. Then you go on through the line and it's still... You, you, the line's moving quick. You get there, and the person at the window's super friendly, and they, they, they know exactly what's needed to be done. They get you the drink tray without you even having to ask for it. Everything is on point. And you get the food, and you take off, and you get home, and it's perfect. Everything was made right. That's not normally the case, is it? <laughs> Usually, especially right now, because of the pandemic, pandemic has been really hard on restaurants, as we all know. So, a lot of them don't even have the lobbies open, so we're sitting in the drive-thru, we're waiting forever, forever, because they've only got like two people in there working. And uh, so, I'm going to go ahead and take this jacket off, because I'm already getting warm. But as... Uh, as you're sitting in line, you finally get to the speaker, and the first thing you hear, what do you hear? I'll be with you in just a second. And you wait another five minutes, right there <laughs> at the speaker, and then they finally, then they're ready. And you're looking, you're at the speaker, and you're looking at the window, and there's like four car lengths where there's nobody. Like, what were they doing all that time? I could have pulled forward by now. And then they finally, they take your order after you repeat it four times. Then you get to the window and you realize you forgot something or they didn't get it put down. Whatever it was, you got to get that taken care of. The price changed, so you're paying again or they changed it somehow, hopefully, maybe, if you were lucky. And then you get your food and they, they, they gave you ranch instead of marinara sauce or the sandwich that you got for your kid that was supposed to be plain has mustard and mayonnaise and ketchup slathered all over it. I don't know how many of you have been there, but I say all those things because as Christians, when we look around at society today, the gospel that we are serving others is a hot mess. We're fighting the same battles the rest of the world is fighting, yes. But then we're fighting them with the same tools as the rest of the world. And then we wonder why the world's in the state that it's in. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not going out from us. We're not serving that to others. We're giving them half-baked religion many times. And that's what we're going to talk about. In 2 Timothy, and this is an important text. I don't know what version everybody is using. I know there's RSV in the pews, I believe. Some of you might have New Living Translation. Some of you may have NASV. Some of you may, may have King James. 
And they're all very different for this text. So when I read it, don't be shocked when you, you think, what is he reading? Because they're all very different because there's some very really unique words we're going to have to look at later. But I'll go ahead and read it. This is from the New King James because this is the best one I could find that kind of bridged all the gaps. It says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and engage your people with good teaching. Now, like I said, some of you are probably, your eyes are already crossed because you were following along. You're like, that is not what mine said at all. If you were in the regular King James, it said, be, be instant, in and out of season, which is what uh, Pastor Dave was uh, referencing there with the kids. And it's so great in application and it's true to its application, but then some of you might have seen be ready instead of be prepared. And even the words there that I've got here in the New King James, the correct, the rebuke, and the encourage, some of you guys may see different words there as well. And the reason for that is because of the Greek here. The Greek words, especially the Greek word for, in the New King James, be prepared, or in the King James, instant, or in the NLT, be ready, I think is what that says. It's a word we don't have an English word for. We just don't. And so translators have tried really hard to try and communicate what they understand the word to mean from the way it's used in all the other text. And so I'm going to give you an example of that. And then I'm going to give you more or less from that the Russell Pierce translation of the text here. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it real quick because this is just an example to see how the word is used. It says, uh, Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked him, being Jesus, to help her. And in verse 39 it says, And, and standing, which ironically standing is the same word here that's being used for instant or be ready or be prepared. But it says standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. That Greek word, uh, epistos, is the word there. It's used to communicate. It's a level of attention and intensity. Not necessarily as an adjective, but as a state of being. So Jesus Christ, when he healed Simon's mother-in-law, he was there and he was present in an intense, very attentive way. And as Christians, going back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, because we really need to establish this, when we preach the word, it's got to be the most real thing in our lives. We've got to be intensely attentive to what the Spirit needs from us in every moment. That's why we got to be prepared or ready or instant. Because it's that attentive intensity where we are that cup overflowing. Where God is at any moment's notice ready to shoot right out of us and change the lives of those around us. 
Honestly, that's a sermon right there we could preach. But we're going to go into the application here. But we've got to get to that spot. And when we get to that spot, then we can, I'm going to break it down into three C's. We can convince, convict, and counsel. Or as the New King James said, we can correct, rebuke, and encourage. And your version may say something a little different there as well again. But I'll break it down for, for you with three C's. And uh, let me give you here the Russell Pierce translation of uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in particular verse 2, so you can really get the, the, the breakdown of the language and the intensity of what is trying to be said. Be intensely attentive in opportune or inopportune times. And patiently convince, convict, and counsel through the gospel teaching. And again, in the Greek, there's an exclamation point after all three of those commands. After we convince, convict, and counsel, exclamation point every time. This is a strong point that's trying to be made by Paul. He is really drilling this in to Timothy. And the Holy Spirit of the living God wants to drill that into our lives today. So, the gospel truth, as defined in the way that Paul uses it here in 2 Timothy and really in all the, his epistles, is the death, burial, and resurrection and the coming kingdom of God. So when I say the gospel, that's what Paul's referring to here in context. So the first part... So we have to convince them with the truth, the gospel message. Not really something we end up doing then, is it? It's something that God did. The power of our personal testimony by Christ's redemptive work is something no one can discredit or take lightly. The only reason anyone would take it lightly is if we are ourselves. There's an exclamation point on that for a reason. Did God do a miraculous work when he redeemed you? Is it a big deal? It's a big deal for me. And if it's not a big deal to you, to others, nobody's going to take it seriously. Nobody's going to be convinced of anything other than the fact that maybe we're just like everybody else. But we're not. We are purchased, bought with a price, sealed until the day of redemption by a holy and righteous God. And with that said, our lives should be different. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The miraculous work of Jesus Christ isn't just salvation, is it? It's continual, it's growing, it's developing. At least if we're going to be pistas, if we're going to be instant, if we're going to be ready, if we're going to be prepared, when 
people are convinced it's through that testimony of the redemptive work of Christ. Which again, yeah, we're saved from, from death through salvation in Jesus Christ, but we're also saved from a lot of the trials that this world can bring. Even as we walk through them, we're not phased by them because we have the redemptive work of Jesus Christ living and working within us. And yet again, we find ourselves taking it so lightly, don't we? It ends up being just an afterthought. Lord, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some time. I'll, I'll get into the Word after, after work when I, when I have time. But I've got a big day here. I've got a lot of stuff I've got to get done. You know, I, was, I used to live in that mode myself. And it has been a blessing to be able to just stop and make God the priority. I didn't even give a whole lot of extra time. I only gave him 10 extra minutes. I said, God, I'm going to get up 10 minutes early. I like sleeping. I love sleeping. We were talking about it in the car today. When I don't get my sleep, when some of my kids don't get their sleep, we get grumpy. And nobody likes a grumpy Russell. But you know what? I, I just gave him 10 minutes. I said, God, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. And I put on some worship music. And I follow it up with some Psalms or some Proverbs or some First and Second Timothy, some Titus, some Romans. And it changes my day. I go from being unprepared spiritually to being fully prepared. And not because of anything that I did, but because the Lord becomes the focus of my life instead of me focusing on what is immediately in front of me in my life. I sacrificed 10 minutes of sleep and 10 minutes of extra time I could have to get ready and be on time maybe. Although it's never made me late. I make that sacrifice, and for what? So that way God has preeminence. And not only that, but it, 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 this becomes something that, again, people could see. It becomes something that is convincing to others. There's no question. I could tell you story after story after story of little miracles, little things that God has done in my life. Nobody can argue those things. My mother's here today. She can tell you some of them. I've mentioned this one before probably, but I had an old 1977 Ford LTD and that thing wouldn't start. It had this little electronic box on the firewall. The thing wouldn't go. It was blown up. We wanted to go to church that morning. And I said, Mom, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to lay my hands on this car and God's going to start it. I did. And it did. We got to church. I was at church. I thought, okay, Lord, let's see what you're going to do. Are we going to be able to get home? Started right up. And we got home. Later that afternoon, I thought, boy, I want some Taco Bell. It didn't start. It would not start. It's the little things where God says, you know what? I want the glory. I want preeminence in your life. I want the priority. 
Because you can't convince anybody of who I am when you're the one doing it. So, if you don't realize the redemptive work, the miraculous redemptive work that Christ is wanting to do in you today, I want you to know he's wanting to. He desires to. And it's nothing fancy that we do. It's not us. Other than in one aspect. That is we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves enough to say, you know what, Lord? You deserve way more than this 10 minutes of sleep I'm giving up. Lord, you deserve way more than the credit for the fact I hit this light green instead of red. Lord, you deserve way more credit than the healthy family I have. Lord, you deserve way more credit for the growth that I have had in you because of the hard times I've had. So, we've got to convince them with the truth of the gospel message. Secondly, we've got to, and I'm sorry for the, the scratching there, that is the headset here, the cord. I am trying to get that addressed, but it is not, it's just when I move. <clears throat> so I apologize for that. But we've got to convict them with the truth of the gospel message. There's a theme here. It's all about the gospel message. But there is one thing we all have in common. And that is sin. The commonality of the fallen state, of our fallen state, excuse me, is what should keep us from condemnation. And what I mean by that is there's no need for us to condemn anybody. If they're going to be condemned, it's going to be done by their own doing. We don't need to worry about that. We don't have to worry about convincing them of their sin. The Holy Spirit can do that. We don't need to worry about any of those things. Do we need to speak truth? Do we need to give them the gospel message? Most certainly. And we let the Holy Spirit work in their lives. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. I've heard this verse used a lot of different ways. Sometimes the way of escape is our, just our faith in Jesus Christ. The way of escape may not be avoiding the situation. The way of escape might be realizing that I am a fallen man. And there's nothing I can do about it, but there's everything that Jesus Christ can do. And I'm going to put my faith in him and he is going to get me through this. I have seen more lives changed 
when I am willing to admit that I am just as fallen as the person I'm talking to. More so ever than when I have told other people why sin is bad. You know, going, well, the Bible says this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, it does. You're exactly right. But the conviction comes through the commonality, through the realization that, you know what, I am guilty here. And so are you. Oftentimes in church, it's easy to point a finger. In society, you see, we see things. We see sin. And it's easy to point the finger, whether it be literally or in our hearts. And we say, yeah, boy, they are way out there. Well, are they really? I mean, yes, they are. But they're no further out than we were. And without Jesus Christ, really, we are. Condemnation that comes through self-righteousness only pushes people away. The redemptive love of Jesus is convicting because he saved us from our sin. Romans 5, 8, and a lot of you probably know this one, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the game changer there. Yeah, I am so guilty. And so are you, but here is the good news. Christ resolved it with his death, burial, and resurrection. He rose from the dead and conquered sin and death on our behalf, on my behalf. No condemnation, no judgment. Just one guy telling another guy how much better life could be instead of being so bitter. Our lives being changed around us because of what Christ has saved us from. The reality of salvation through Jesus Christ, knowing what we're saved from isn't just convincing, but then it is convicting to others. Sometimes, even just saying we're sorry. Maybe some of you have experienced that when somebody, they're so mad at you and you come up to them with a broken heart and you say, you know what, I'm sorry. I was way out of line. And you see in their eyes, they're immediately convicted because they, re they realize they were harboring sin in their heart against you. That wasn't anything that anybody did. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he can't do it if we're not living a convicted life ourselves first. A life of conviction 
through the good news of Jesus Christ. Third, we've got to counsel them with the truth of the gospel message. Again, it's a simple theme. It's all about the gospel message, is it not? It's all about Jesus. We can make it complex with all these help books and all these methodologies and these ideas, and there's nothing wrong with those. Those are amazing. But at their core, all it is is the gospel. All it is is Jesus. I mean, is the Bible sufficient? I'm, I'm waiting for an answer. Is the Bible sufficient? Is it enough? Amen. It is enough. The Bible is enough. In a world where we see so much chaos and everything going on, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in his word is enough. But even as Christians, we don't see it anymore, do we? We're bogged down. We're busy. We're consumed. Whether it be with trauma that hasn't been dealt with, emotional behavioral issues that are unresolved, relationships that are broken. I was doing an altar call some time ago. And there was a response from someone. And she cried out. She goes, what do I do now? I don't know what to do now. Because she was convicted of all this sin. And she realized the love of Jesus Christ was so much better than the life that she was living. But she didn't know how to go about it. She didn't know how to move forward. That's where the counsel part, the exhortation, that's where it's so important. We've got a lot of people living convicted of their sin, and instead they go into a spiral of guilt. Maybe you're a Christian today and you're stuck in your guilt. And you think, well, there's nothing I can do about it anyways. God, I'm sorry. I'm just a big mess. I'd like you to use me, but I can't, I can't get around this sin. I don't know what to do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to be ministering to those individuals. And if you are one of those individuals, you've got to have an open heart to receive it. The redemptive work of Christ, like I mentioned, does not just end at salvation. It grows. It develops. It goes from salvation and we begin to embark on the journey of sanctification. God wants to grow you. God wants to use you to grow others. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another every day. 
as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's easy to hide behind Facebook statuses and aloof text messages and acquaintant relationships at work. And it all, then it settles in here at church too, doesn't it? We're able to just kind of go through the motions. We're not vulnerable. We're not open to an investment that somebody wants to make. Or we turn a blind eye to someone that we know is hurting. But we just feel like we don't have the time or the resources or the hard ability to invest in that life. Paul was urging Timothy, and I believe the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is urging us today. We've got to lean in. We've got to lean in to those who are hurting. We've got to lean in to the needs of this, this community. Because Jesus Christ, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is the answer. We don't have to make it a big production. We've just got to be real and vulnerable. Willing to speak about our testimony and what Christ has done with us that a heart might be convinced of the realities of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Also, being real about our own sin. And how Jesus Christ took that sin and paid the price for it. And that the record of that debt can't be seen. It's not known anymore. And we've got to counsel one another. Today, we've got to be ready in this moment To lean in to this world's problems so they can see that Jesus Christ is the answer. The redemptive love of Jesus encourages us toward growth with Christ and the body of Christ. Philippians 1.9 says, This I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. So plainly put, are you growing in Jesus Christ today? Is Christ getting the opportunity to counsel you in life? To mature you? To love on you? Are we too busy? Too busy trying to help ourselves with what we think the truth is. I say it all the time to people. God will put something on my heart and I think, oh, this is so great, Lord, and I just go running. And I go running way off in the wrong direction. 
because I assume God's will instead of waiting and saying, God, what would you have me to do? You know, you, you see the story with Mary and Martha. Martha's busy. She's cooking, getting things ready. She's so busy. And Mary's just at the Lord's feet. And Martha comes. She says, Jesus, why? Why do why you have her here? I need help. And Jesus says, Mary knows what's important. And that's a paraphrase. But that's what he, the point he's making. Mary gets it, Martha. I appreciate what you're doing. It's about me. It's not about that meal. It's not about what other people see. It's about this right here. And Mary understands that. I hope you understand that today. What kind of gospel are we serving to others? Is it half-baked? <laughs> is the recipe, is it, is it the wrong order? Are the faculties of our heart operating below staff capacity? We're not able to function like we should because we're missing the resources we need. Also, maybe you're here today and Christ isn't your Savior. And you're hearing all this for what feels like the first time. And you realize you need a Savior. We're going to pray. If everybody close their eyes for me. Nobody looking around. Today, maybe you're convicted about the relationship with Jesus Christ you have. Maybe you're not living it out like you should. Whether it be taking for granted salvation. Maybe it's going through the motions. Maybe it's secret sin that you're not dealing with. Maybe you're not actively pursuing the work of Jesus Christ that you might see souls and hearts changed. Nate's going to be singing a hymn of invitation here. If you fit into that category, I want you to come down. Also, if you need Jesus Christ today, if you don't have a relationship with him, and you realize you need a real, present help in time of need, Jesus Christ is that answer today. As he plays, if you feel the need, don't hesitate to come down. I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand together and sing. is
this place help us to remember the two most important things that we can do is love God and love our neighbor and the people said